Thank you so much, Cornel. It's, it's um, a privilege for me to be among you um, again this morning. Had a wonderful week this past week. Um, spent it with around 50 pastors and ministry workers and their spouses in Melbourne. And I heard that in Melbourne it was warmer there than it was here. So I guess I brought the warm weather down there. Uh, but we had just such a lovely time just gathering together and being refreshed in God's Word, but also in the fellowship and connecting with one another. It was, um, you know, about three years since, you know, we all got together uh, from across the country. Um, and it was just such a delight um, to lead that conference, but also to be among um, my colleagues and um, to be together. And tomorrow, my wife and I are heading to Canada. <laughs> Yay! It's been three years uh, since we've seen most of our family, and our kids and grandkids. Five years for some of our kids, one of our daughter and her family. Um, so we're just really, really uh, looking forward to getting on that plane tomorrow night and, um, and heading off to Canada. But um, it's such a privilege for me um, just to open up God's Word. We're going to continue our study of uh, the book of Revelation, and uh, let me just set this chapter up for you. Um, I don't know if you were to go to uh, a restaurant of your choice, uh, I don't know where you would go, but I might go to a Chinese restaurant. I love Chinese food, I don't know about you. Now, one of my favorite things whenever I'm at a Chinese restaurant is um, ordering some sweet and sour chicken balls. Uh, I mean, the Chinese seem to have mastered how to make this. I mean, you, you chew into this hunk of meat, and it's both sweet and sour. Now, there's a recipe if you want to try it out for yourself. You need a little bit of sugar, a little bit of vinegar. Mix them together, and you'll have a taste that is both sweet and sour at the same time. Well, let me just ask you this morning, how would you describe the life of being a follower of Jesus, a Christian? Is it sweet or is it sour? You know, for many people, they see the sour side of Christianity. Some time ago, Herb Vanderlucht uh, wrote in uh, Our Daily Bread. I don't know if you ever used that devotional. My wife and I have been using it for eons. Um, every evening, we spend time together reading this devotion. Well, some time ago, he read about, um, I mean, he, he wrote in this little devotional about a time during the Second World War when a fellow soldier said to him, Herb, you seem so happy, but if I had to live the way you did, I'd just as soon be dead. Well, what this fellow soldier was implying, that Herb's life was so moral it had to be wrong and boring. I mean, not getting drunk, no sexual immorality, no swearing, no cheating. I mean, just going off to church doing devotions, sharing your faith, just living a godly, moral life. Uh, for many people, when you become a Christian, um, they think, well, maybe you've got to say goodbye to the fun life. Well, you're here today. And perhaps you're here because you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Why do you? Why do you follow Jesus? Do you follow Jesus to say goodbye to all the fun in life? Maybe you're like me. I mean, I started following Jesus around 50 years ago. But maybe for you it's been more recent. Maybe this past year. Or maybe just even this past week, something about Jesus became more relevant in your life. But why? Why 
be a follower of Jesus? Why be a Christian? I mean, let's face it, being a Christian is not easy. We've heard a lot about that already in our study as we opened up the book of Revelation. Take, for example, the letter to the church in Smyrna, how they were told that they were to expect persecution. They were told to be faithful even to the point of death. Suffering to the point of death. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? But that's the message of the Bible. As Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, you're going to be handed over. If you're going to be a follower of me, you're going to be handed over to be persecuted. You're going to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all the nations around me because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Jesus is saying, you know, it's tough being a follower of me. It's tough being a follower of Jesus. I mean, even some people are just going to fall away because it is just too tough. Because yes, as followers of Jesus, you can expect suffering. And the life of Christian is not easy. You can expect trouble. Jesus tells us in this world, you can expect trouble. Or as Peter writes, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange is happening to you. Expect suffering. Expect trouble. Expect the struggle if you are a follower of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not experiencing a lot of persecution or struggle or suffering, you ought to be saying to yourself, that's strange. Because if I was really following Jesus, I can expect life is not going to be easy. That's normal Christianity. Then why sign up? Why be a follower of Jesus? Well, that's the issue John and the other followers of Jesus were facing at the time Revelation was written. Why follow Jesus? Why be faithful? You know, where we are at now in the study of the book of Revelation, John has just heard the sound of the first six trumpets. And he saw and heard how in the last days there's going to be havoc on earth. God is going to judge the earth and there will be all kinds of devastation. Maybe sometime today you can just browse through Revelation 8 and 9. In those chapters you'll read about that. How as we get closer to the second coming of Christ, we can expect more trouble on earth. There's going to be volcanoes erupting, burning up a third of the earth. There's going to be meteorites hitting the earth, causing fresh water to turn bitter. There'll be darkness. Demonic forces will be let loose on the earth. Plagues of locusts and other vermines are going to torment men, women, and children. People are going to turn on each other and millions of people will die. It's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be easy even for those who follow Jesus. So why? Why follow Jesus? Why be a Christian? It looks so sour, not sweet at all. And that brings us to chapter 10. This is an interlude, a short pause between the sixth 
and the seventh trumpet. Now, that's a common pattern in the book of Revelation. Remember, last time I was with you, we looked at the first interlude. That's when we saw the six seals being opened, and then before the seventh seal is opened, there's an interlude. And now we had the six trumpets were sounded. There is now an interlude before the final trumpet is sounded. There's a pause and interlude. Now these interludes are important. Because these interludes are meant to give a specific message of believers, words of comfort and encouragement in the midst of trials and judgment. Last time I was with you, we looked at the first interlude. Today we're going to look at the second interlude. And there's a lot for us as believers that looks and tastes very sour. But there is also something that is very, very sweet. Listen to what the Spirit will be saying to you today as we look at Revelation 10. Because it is both sweet and sour. Let me read Revelation chapter 10. This is what we read. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, And said, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour. But in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be truly acceptable in your sight. Lord, as we come together this morning, we want to build our lives on you. And Lord, after everything is said and done, we pray, Lord, you, Jesus, the Lord and head of this church, 
will be pleased. And that every single person that is here this morning will be helped. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. My friends, look at what John saw. There was a mighty angel who comes down from heaven. I saw this little cute little angel that came to church this morning. He's very small. <laughs> but this was a massive angel, a mighty angel. And in his hand he was holding a little scroll. But notice how this angel is described. This is very important. He's clothed in a cloud. Recall the description of Jesus in Revelation 1 verse 7, how Jesus would be wrapped in a cloud when he returns to earth. Remember also in the Exodus when the people of Israel left you know, the land of slavery and they went to the land of promise. But that is where God continually appeared to his people in the midst of a cloud. God was in that cloud. This angel also has a rainbow over his head. In Revelation 4, 3, we have a picture of God who is seated on the throne and he is also encircled by a rainbow. That's how God is also described in Ezekiel 1.28, that God had the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. We're also told that the face of the angel was like the sun. In the Gospels, we read how Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and there Jesus was transfigured before them, and we're told in Matthew 17 that his face shone like the sun. Again, keep looking at this angel. We've noticed that the legs of the angel were fiery pillars. You remember in the Bible where we read about the pillars of fire? Yes, you go back again to the book of Exodus. When God led the people of Israel, there was pillars of fire that kept leading the people of Israel. Pillars of fire to give them light wherever they went. Now, all these descriptions that we have of this mighty angel underscore the importance of this angel from heaven. This angel is described as having divine qualities. In fact, some people have even commented on this angel as perhaps saying that this mighty angel is Jesus himself. But at the very least, this mighty angel comes in the authority and the majesty of God. There is cause for awesome worship, for every detail fits the description of God in the Old Testament and how Jesus is revealed in the New Testament. Now notice what's in this angel's hand. He's got a little scroll. And that reminds us of Revelation chapter 5 where Jesus took that scroll in his hand. Now that scroll contains the message how God will eliminate all evil and darkness. How God will crush Satan's sin and death. Now this scroll represents God's plan for ending world history as we know it. As we look at Revelation 10, it's best to understand that as this mighty angel is holding this little scroll, it's exactly the same scroll that Jesus held in Revelation chapter 5. It was sealed in Revelation chapter 5. It's opened in chapter 6. And now it's in the angel's hand in Revelation 10. I want you to notice also how this angel stands. He's standing with one foot on the sea and the other on the land. Now that's an image that was well known in John's day because 
um, in the harbor of the city of Rhodes. One of the seven wonders of the world was there. It was a 105-foot bronze statue of Helios, the patron god of the city. And that statue was placed there, and it overlooked the harbor. Well, in John's vision, he sees something exactly the same. But this is the mighty angel. And this mighty angel has one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. And the message is absolutely clear. The gods of this world do not have all the power and authority. Sovereignty, in fact, belongs to God alone. God is the only one who is sovereign over the world. And God is sovereign over the whole wide world. I mean, the angel, he lifts up his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in them, and the sea and all that is in it. Now you and I, you know, make no mistake about it. God is in control over everything. The heavens, the earth, and the sea. Every square inch of the universe is under God's sovereign control. It belongs to God. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of that, especially as we face uncertain times in our days or when we face persecution or trouble in this life. We need to remember time and time again that this mighty angel having a foot on both the land and the sea with his arms stretched to heaven, that all of the universe is under the power and control of God. Now then we read that this mighty angel begins to roar like a lion and speak with the sound of seven thunders. Now all of this, these images underscore the fact that what this angel has to say comes directly from God. The message is going to be a message of judgment. The God of glory thunders over everything that he has made. And when John heard the seven trumpets, he's ready to start to write it down. It's almost as if he says, you know, now it's time to you know, get this down on paper and I want to share this message out to the churches, what God is going to do. But then John is told, stop, seal it up. Seal what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now that's an echo of Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, where Daniel is told by you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. See, God has determined the time when the church, when you and I will know exactly what is all going to happen in the final days. But right now, it's sealed up. We don't know all the details. God remains sovereign. God is in control. And you and I, we don't need to know all the details. We've got to trust the God who is sovereign over all. But this one thing we do know. The angel tells us there will be no more delay. The events that will bring human history to an end have already begun. The clock is ticking. And one day the trumpet judgments will take place. Devastation will come upon the earth. Millions of people will die. And then the end will come. Jesus will return on the clouds of heaven and the final judgment will take place. And all those who have not repented of their sin will be condemned to hell forever. But those 
who have repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus will have life forevermore. Now, people must realize how extremely serious this message is. I mean, we cannot fool around with God. You can't, I can't, the world can't. We can't fool around with God. You're either for Him or against Him. There's no room for lukewarmness. We already heard that, right? In the letters to the churches. There's no sitting on the fence. That's true for me. That's also true for you. For this church. It's also true for your neighbors. Your family members. Our fellow citizens here in Australia. It's true for the people of the world. And for this reason, John is told to go. He says, go, John. Go. Take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And as John takes this scroll, he is told to take it and eat it. And John is told, it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. Now what's happening here? Well, this is exactly what happened when Ezekiel was commissioned to become a prophet. God told Ezekiel the prophet, I want you to open your mouth and I want you to eat what I give you. And Ezekiel is given a scroll, just like John is given a scroll in Revelation 10. And Ezekiel, on both sides were written words of lament and mourning and woe. In other words, it was not a nice message to give. It was a message of warning. It was a message of woe, 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 a sadness. So Ezekiel, so Ezekiel the prophet, he takes the scroll, he eats it, and it tastes as sweet as honey in his mouth. So just as Ezekiel is commissioned by God to speak words of warning to his people, so too the Apostle John is commissioned to speak words of warning to the people of his day. He's told to go. Go, he says, then eat. And then he was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. In other words, you've got to bear testimony to what is going to happen in this world. John is told to go and to witness to the fact and the truth that the final days are here, and if people do not repent, they will go to hell. But if they do repent, and they turn to Christ, they will have life forevermore. I mean, this task of witnessing is both sweet and sour. You know, when you and I stand up for Jesus and we witness to him, I mean, there will be rejection. There will be suffering. If you and I stand up for the truth of Christ in our world, you will be persecuted. <laughs> you will suffer for the sake of Christ. You might, as many believers all around the world know, you might even be put to death. But there's nothing sweeter than the task of proclaiming the word of God to people. Nothing sweeter. Ezekiel found that out. And when John ate the scroll, the message that was really a tough message to bring, it tasted sweet as honey in his mouth. But for John, the bitterness will come. 
And you and I have been given the sweet task of preaching repentance and judgment to a generation that has turned their backs on God. That's the task that God has given to us. That's the message of Revelation chapter 10. And that's the message that Jesus told us before he ascended into heaven, that that is what you and I have to do. Just as John was told to go and bear testimony to all that God has said, so Jesus says to us that we are to go into all the world and we are to make disciples of all nations and we are to baptize them. We are to get them into fellowship within the church. We've got to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we've got to teach these people everything that Jesus has told us. We've got to give the whole counsel of God to people. And the message that you and I often have to bring to a world that is unrepentant, that has turned their backs on him, is a message of woe and mourning and warning. In spite of the bitterness of suffering for the sake of Christ, we are to go and we are to tell people that we're living in the final days before the return of Christ. People need to repent. People need to turn to Jesus. People need to obey the word of God. There's no time to wait or delay. Today's the day. We must tell people the seriousness of this message. You know, exactly one year ago, I was here, and maybe you remember when I was here. I brought this with me. Do you remember? And when I was here, I, I, I gave this message called The Weakest Link. And I reminded us that, you know, we have this, this link that's there. And we have all of these people in the world that are far away from God. And here we are as Wishart Church. And, and there is something that you and I need to do to, to link those people back up to the church. And not just to, to link them up and let them fall off again, but we are to link them up so that, you know, they're, they're tied back into the church. That was a message I gave to you about a, exactly a year ago when I was here. And in that message, when I was here, I told you about the other sheep that Jesus has. I reminded you from the words of John 10, where Jesus tells us that there are other sheep that are not part of this sheep pen, and how we must also bring those other sheep in as well. And they will listen to the voice of Jesus, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. These other sheep, you know who they are. Those are the people in your neighborhood. They might be a family member. The people that you meet up at the uni where you go to school or where you teach or at the coffee shop where you pick up your morning latte. But these people, they're lost. They're not part of this sheep pen. And we must bring them also. You know what we're called to do. I told you that a year ago. And I'm telling you again today. It all begins with the word go. You and I just got to go. We got to have the Father's heart. As a church, we must be unwilling that any one of, you know, the weak and missing members of this church are just lost in sin. We, we got to go to them. And we got to bring them back. And when we look around in our neighborhoods and in our families and in our community and in our world today, we, we got to be reaching out and giving those other lost sheep 
Because God also wants them to be part of his sheep pen. We are to go. Won't you go? Yes, go and show them the love of Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we are one year later. I wonder how many of you accepted that challenge I gave to you a year ago. How many of you actually went? How many of you went to that neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and invited them over for tea and had an opportunity perhaps to pray with them or share the message of Christ with them? How many of you went across the road or across the room at your workplace and just spoke to that man, that woman, and just shared with them the, the message that you know that is found in the Bible? That people need to repent of their sin and come to Jesus. If not, they're going to hell. But for those of those who repent and they come to Jesus, there's a wonderful, everlasting, forever life with God. How many of you have intentionally taken the effort to share the message of Christ with an unbeliever? To pray with them? To invite them to a Bible study? To bring them to church? Maybe you find this very frightening or difficult to do. But you know what I've discovered in life? If you just simply make this your prayer and say, God, I'm available. I want to go. I want to be used by you. Do you make that your prayer? God's going to put people in your pathway, people that you can call to repentance and faith. All you have to do is walk across the room and tell them what's in your heart. Just pray and then see those that God puts in your pathway. I mean, none of us can ever save anybody. I mean, that's completely a work of God. But do you know that long before God puts someone in your pathway that he's already worked in their heart with his Holy Spirit? And God will use you as he's used me time and time again as an instrument of his grace in their life. And all we have to do is go walk across the room to that man, to that woman, to that child, to that senior citizen and tell them that the end is near, that Jesus is coming back and he's going to hold everybody to account. Tell them simply what will happen to those who do not repent and then take them along with you on that journey to eternal life. You know, my friends, there's nothing sweeter than telling other people about Jesus. There's nothing sweeter than seeing people who have once so long ago for far, so for far, far away from God. You know, last week I was at a, I was at a funeral and um, there was a, a lovely elderly lady in our church. Her name was Afka. And we had her funeral last week. You know, eight years ago that Afka walked across the room and she saw a young man walk into our church. This young man was hooked on drugs, both street 
and prescription drugs. He had all kinds of family problems with his parents, with his siblings. He was unemployed. He was hooked on alcohol. He was unemployed. <laughs> and she saw this young man walk into the church, and she walked across the room. <laughs> and although she didn't know exactly what to do, she knew what to do, and she says, I want you to meet somebody, and she brought Adam into my life. And over the last eight years, almost every single Thursday night, Adam and I have done nothing but simply read the Bible together and just ask ourselves, what is God saying in here? How can we apply that to our life and how can we pray? You know, and over the eight, past eight years, I have seen Adam's life turn 360 degrees around. Not because of what I did, but simply because we opened up the Bible together. And today, Adam, no more drugs, either prescription or street, no more alcohol. <laughs> he's fully employed. Actually, a month ago, he started his apprenticeship to become a builder. He's 42 years of age. He's reconnected with his family. <laughs> and and I, I look at Adam, and you know, he, his whole countenance looks completely different today. Because the beauty that's inside of him is the relationship that he has now with the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone that he didn't know eight years ago, but now he knows and follows. And that only happened because Afka, God bless her. You know, here's an 82-year-old lady who walked across a room and said, Hey, you know what? You're a young man. I've got an older bloke that maybe you ought to meet. And he introduced him to me. And I was able to help Adam on his journey toward eternal life. And there's going to be people in your life that God will enable you to develop a relationship with. And my friends, there is nothing sweeter. There is nothing sweeter. Oh yes, it's sometimes really tough and it's sour being a follower of Jesus because you will be persecuted. I know what that's like. But there's nothing sweeter when we take the message of Christ and we eat it, we digest it, and we pass it on to others, and we see them move from death to life, and they journey with you until that day, on that day when Jesus Christ will return. You know, that's enough for me. Is it enough for you? Then walk across the room. Share the message that God has put in your heart with others. And when you do that, it will taste sweet as honey. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for the privilege that we have of just being your ambassadors. Earlier, Cornelius, you know, uttered those prayers to you. And, and Lord, I just want to affirm every single one of those prayers. Because Lord, we, we want to be salt and light. We, we want to be difference makers in our world. We, we want to be that link that will connect people to you and, and to this body of believers, this growing body of believers who are, are, are really serious about loving God and, and loving one another and, and, and truly sharing the message of Christ with others. Lord, that is what you've called us to do. And as Ezekiel did that and as John did that, may we be people like that doing it to the atoms that you put in our pathway, 
so that we can just share with them the message of Christ and allow them to come into that living and loving relationship with you. Lord, may we, each one of us, taste the sweetness of doing that work with you in this world for your glory, for the good of others, and for the glory of your name. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.